Welcome to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast. In our podcast, we provide support for school leadership and the workplace with a proven approach for implementing social and emotional learning. As it's well known in our schools today and emotional intelligence in the modern workplace with a proven strategy to increase well-being, achievement, and results backed by the most current neuroscience research. I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and former educator who, like you, knows firsthand about stress in today's schools and corporations, along with the effects that this stress has on our well-being, achievement, productivity, and results. In this podcast, we will provide you with the tools, resources, and ideas to implement proven strategies backed by the most current neuroscience research to help you to achieve the long-term gains of implementing these success strategies in your daily life. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit AchieveIt360.com. AchieveIt360.com. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets SEL podcast. This is Andrea Samadhi. Our goal with this podcast is to close the gap recent surveys show exist in our workforce where 58% of employers say college graduates are not adequately prepared for today's workforce. And those employers noted a particular gap in social and emotional skills. Research shows that social and emotional skills like social awareness, self-regulation and growth mindset are crucial to college and career readiness. The outcomes of developing these intelligences are vast as they impact our performance, leadership, personal excellence, time management, and decision making. In these episodes, we've chosen six social emotional learning competencies to dive deep into and tie in how an understanding of our brain can facilitate these strategies. With each competency, we'll investigate the best practices that you can use to develop your own SEL or emotional intelligence and well-being practice before extending these strategies to your districts, schools, classrooms, workplaces, and communities. We want the ideas you take away with you to be actionable, whether you're an educator working in a school, an employee or manager in a corporation, or someone just looking to take their skills to the next level. Be sure to look for the resources in the show notes section if you'd like to dive deeper into this topic. What is self-regulation and why is it so important? Self-regulation is the ability to manage your emotions and behavior in accordance with the demands of the situation. It includes being able to resist highly emotional reactions to upsetting stimuli, to calm yourself down when you get upset, adjust to a change in expectations, and the ability to handle frustration. In other words, it's the ability to bounce back after a setback or disappointment and the ability to stay in congruence with your inner value system. The ability to control one's behavior, emotions, and thoughts is an integral skill to be taught to young children as well so they can form and maintain healthy relationships and connections later in life. As an adult, self-regulation is important in day-to-day life as we must learn how to handle and bounce back from life's challenges and disappointments in our own personal and professional lives. This skill is crucial to develop, as we all know life is full of ups and downs, and we've got to be able to navigate through challenging situations before we can reach any levels of achievement and success. 
We all know people who seem to bounce back after adversity, and it's not by luck or chance. It's because they've learned how to self-regulate and intentionally get themselves back on course. This is a learned skill and one that we must teach or model our students and children for them to be able to master it into adulthood. Scott Bezelko, the executive director of the Winston Prep School, explains that they approach self-regulation skills in the same way they approach other skills, academic or social. They isolate that skill and then they provide practice. When you think of it as a skill to be taught rather than like a bad behavior, it changes the tone and content of the feedback that you give the kids. Just like we would create a drill for improving dribbling for a basketball player or practicing vocabulary words for a spelling test, we can create practice for self-regulation. So here's some self-regulation tips for children. The key to teaching these skills to children is to model them, coaching younger children until they can produce the results on their own. First tip is to model self-talk. This works well with younger students as they learn how to identify their emotions. Teachers can model self-regulation in class by naming the emotions they're experiencing since we learn by watching others. Help students to recognize the emotions they have. For example, say, today I'm feeling frustrated because I'm stuck on my math problem. And then offer a strategy on how to deal with the problem, perhaps by taking some deep breaths when they feel frustrated and keep working on that problem. Tip two is to encourage self-control. If you're a student and you value academic achievement, you'll have the ability to complete your homework and make sacrifices to study for upcoming tests instead of watching Netflix or going out with your friends. Teachers can offer tips and strategies that they've used personally in pursuit of their goals by offering the rewards they gain from giving up something that they'd like to do to make time for study. This will build trust with students as they share their own stories and experiences. Tip three is to uncover the motivation. When students understand the importance of what they're studying, how it applies to the real world or their daily life, they'll be motivated to achieve that end goal. They must figure out how to make connections with what they're learning to motivate themselves intrinsically, so that's within, learning for the fun of it and becoming lifelong learners. Encourage students to make a game out of their learning to increase motivation. How do they learn best? Is it by taking notes, perhaps drawing images next to their notes to help them to identify and remember what they're learning? Do they remember what they're learning if they read their notes out loud? What strategies did you use to study and learn? Have students share their ideas with each other in a classroom discussion as one person's ideas can help or encourage another to try something new. Fourth tip is reaching those aha moments. When students start learning something new, they'll go through different stages on the way to metacognition, and that's when they're aware of what they're learning. When students can learn to form habits around how they learn best with time and practice, they'll learn to naturally break through when they become stuck. And that's when they experience those aha moments when they finally understand something that might have escaped them for so long. Students must find ways to relax their brain and body, and it's during these resting states that remarkable activity takes place. This allows the brain to creatively solve problems and takes the students to new heights of achievement. Dr. Srini Pillay, an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard's Medical School, he talks about the power of building unfocused time into your day so that you can make better decisions and become more productive whether you're in the classroom or the boardroom. 
Dr. Pile brings in the latest brain research to prove that our brains must have time to rest in order to be productive and that too much focus causes brain fatigue. If you've ever noticed that great ideas come to you sometimes while you're in the shower, it's this principle at work. The unfocused brain takes us to new places, insights, and aha moments where focus just cannot. Einstein discovered his theory of relativity in a daydream that he had when he let his mind wander and he used logic to explain it. And Steve Jobs explained that you can't connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect them looking backwards, so you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. These aha moments not, might not be apparent until you look back at them. So how does self-regulation translate into the workplace? To reach these high levels of achievement in the workplace, there's more involved than just using your self-control and willpower. The executive functions of your brain are involved, and we have mentioned in previous episodes that in order to self-regulate, our brains must work right. We must put brain health first by getting enough sleep, nutrition, supplements, and exercise, and when our brain works right, we work right. We must have strategies to calm down our emotions first, since our executive functions won't be working right when we're under stress, whether that means taking some deep breaths or walking away to recalibrate. Here are three self-regulation tips for the workplace. Tip one, embrace the daily grind. Remember that when you're working on something that's important to you, the more time and effort you put in focused on this goal, that things don't get easier for you in this pursuit, they become more difficult. When you become better at what you're doing, gaining more competence, you'll gain more success, but things won't get easier for you as we'd imagine. They get harder as more challenges appear. When you're working, taking action, and doing something, problems and obstacles will show up. Those who are the most successful with their craft will understand and embrace that hardship with daily focus and consistent practice to overcome the obstacles. With focus, persistence, and daily practice, confidence will develop and it will propel you forward. Tip two, remember that we have a choice. When difficult situations arise, we have three choices. We can approach by asking questions, avoid, or attack. The best results obviously occur when we're able to respond to a situation by approaching it with understanding rather than react, avoidance, or attack by asking questions to uncover more and see if there might be something we're missing or some sort of miscommunication. We always have a choice on how we respond to situations. The research is clear that mindfulness and meditation can help increase the gap between stimulus and our response to it. So those who've developed their own practice will find making this choice to respond versus react much easier. Third tip is learn to switch it off. Once you're clear on the situation, if your feathers were ruffled and you didn't like something that occurred, you must have a strategy in place to switch off the emotions that you feel so you don't react. An effective strategy used in cognitive behavioral therapy is to say the word switch in your head as you focus on switching the negative emotion that you feel to something more positive. We all have automatic negative thoughts that come into our head at times, but we must have a strategy to stop them from ruminating or continuing in a loop, since we know that switching off these negative thoughts is an important step towards self-regulation and moving us towards our goals. 
I've always used the strategy of saying stop when this happens to change the thought pattern in my head to something more productive. But whichever works for you, stop or switch. So the outcomes and results of self-regulation, as self-regulation develops, grows, and improves, it happens from birth through young adulthood and beyond. As parents and teachers working with our students in the classroom, modeling these strategies will be crucial for our students to begin to implement and grasp them. As students move from high school and into the workplace, developing a mindfulness and meditation strategy early on can only further strengthen this skill so that we can provide our best selves in our community, families, and workplaces. Thank you for staying with us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned for more interviews this week with students who've been applying these principles for the past five years and are returning to share the results that they've created in their lives. Next week, we'll cover the mindset competency and move into the cognitive track where we will dive deep into our brain and how our results personally and professionally are all controlled by this powerful organ. See you next time. enjoying the neuroscience meets social and emotional learning podcast please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episode while you're there please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us for more information on our programs books and tools for schools and the workplace visit us at www.achieveit360.com 